In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go inside the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't think it's an accident that Christmas comes in the darkest part of the year, because I think a lot of times Christmas can go from magical to miserable in a moment. You ever had a Christmas moment like that? <laughs> Last week was the, the time in our family when we decorate for Christmas. And so we all have our jobs, right? I put the lights on the tree. Jessica puts the little bubbly things, whatever, cranberries on the tree, right? And the kids put the ornaments on the tree. Jessica makes the house look pretty. And then I grab the big Rubbermaid bin of outdoor Christmas lights, and I start trudging up to the roof. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Maybe you know where the story's going. I'm, I didn't break any legs. So I look out the window, this is last weekend, and it's pouring outside. And I look at the app like, what's the weather going to be like next week? Rain, 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 rain. And so I've got this choice. Am I going to wait until it's brighter days ahead? But then we only have a couple days until Christmas, right? Or do I just power through it, do it now, get it done? Right? I'm like, I'm doing it. It's Christmas. This is going to be great, right? My son Brady comes up and says, Dad, if you're going to decorate for Christmas, you've got to wear this elf hat. And he sticks this elf hat on my head. <laughs> I zip up my raincoat, and I climb out the window onto the roof. And I'm like, let's do this. Right? And the raincoat's good, right? So I'm like, I got this, right? I can throw the hood over, and it's fine, right? I'm going to be totally dry. It's going to be totally fine. And I start pulling out the lights, and I'm setting them around. And I'm like, I got this, right? I'm trying not to slide off the roof in the rain. And and then I go to like clip the first light on, and normally like I would just like sit down on the roof and like shimmy down to the side, but everything's wet, right? And so I'm trying to like lean like over to the edge of the roof. I'm like, I gotta, just gotta go, right? And so I like sit down on the ground, and all of a sudden my jeans just like fill with water. I think I was wearing like sponge jeans or something, just fill with water. And then for the next like hour, I'm just squishing down, scooting down, scooting down, one light at a time, right? And as I go, right, I'm thinking, I'm starting to get cold, and my legs are freezing, and I'm starting to like shiver, and I look over, and there's like 12 lights done. <laughs> and then there's like all these like thousands of, there's probably like 100 left, right? I'm like, oh, geez, right? And 
start to get so cold, and then I have to use the restroom, and I'm freezing, and I'm like, I got to go back inside, right? And so I go back inside, and my daughter, whose room I use to climb out onto the window, is in there playing, and she shut the window because it's cold. So I'm like standing there in the rain, like trying not to scare her, but I'm like, open the window, and she's just like, ah. So I'm like, all right, back to the roof, right? I go back to the roof, and then at one point, my wife comes out, and She's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. And I I said, can you please open the window? I need to come inside. So she opens the window. And I go to climb inside the window. But my jeans are so wet, I can't move my legs. And so I'm like... And the, like by the window, there's this like slope and then like a 20-foot drop-off into our backyard because our house is on this little hill. So I'm like, I'm, gonna, like, I'm going to die. So I climb the window, and I have to like somehow like throw my leg up into the window and then flop into her bedroom and then take off my shoes, go into the house, come back on, put on my shoes, get up on a chair, go back out the window. And by the time I get to the end of this project... My hands are just numb, right? I'm like reaching into the gutter and there's like the little gutter nails everywhere and I'm like slicing my hands and I'm thinking, I can't even feel it. I'm like, ah, oh, we'll figure this out later. We got polysporin and everything is numb and I'm freezing and my elf hat is just dripping. Like, <laughs> and Christmas setup day went from magical to miserable and just like that. There's something about this Christmas season, I feel like this might just, this might just be me, but I feel like I, I talk to more people in December whose lives get blindsided with crazy, terrible things than any time of the year. I just think in this last week, I've talked to people who've just had sudden death of loved ones. I've talked to people who've been abandoned by their spouse. I've talked to people who've gotten terrible news. I've talked to people who are dealing with medical things. All this stuff just blindsided. And sometimes it feels like the, the Christmas spirit is easily tainted by just the misery that sometimes creeps in to this time of year. I know there's people in here who have had stuff happen on Christmas, the days around Christmas, the season of Christmas, and you thought it was just a one-time thing, but now every year the lights go up and the trees come out, and it just reminds you of what happened last Christmas. For some of you, this is your first Christmas trying to endure with, without a loved one who passed away last year, and it's hard. It's harder than you thought it would be. Christmas is supposed to be this time of just merry and pride and happiness and hot chocolate and trees and beauty. It can become this time of year where you're just carrying this weight that you never anticipated having to carry, especially right now when all you want to do is think about Jesus and how much he's done. Last week, as we looked at the example of Mary, we, we realized that God's nature is to be a giver that God has blindsided us with the gift of his son and that we're just humble receivers. And so the challenge was to walk through this season in reverent awe because we serve a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. But this morning, as we look at the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, a different question emerges. How do you relish an experience with God when your experience with him is not as a giver but as a, a taker? What if you've gone through something recently where God has been defined in your life as the one who has 
taken something from you or withheld something from you or you've lost something deeply and now you look at God like he's supposed to be this gracious giver of great gifts and you think, well, where's my gift? Where's my loved one? Where's my joy? Where's my peace in this season? And we're going to look at the story today of this couple who served God faithfully and yet had had something in their life that had been withheld from them for a long, long time and wrestle with what that might mean for our lives as well. Zechariah, who the character we talk about in this story, I feel like I can describe him in Luke chapter 1 with two words. You can write these down, but they're not like theological words or anything. Godly and jaded. And those are the two words that I would use to describe Zechariah. Godly, in the sense that he is a man who's serving the Lord faithfully. He's in the temple. He's a priest. He's got a religious background. It's amazing. But jaded, because in the sense, when God comes to him and you hear the conversations around it, you just see that there's something in his life that has not worked out, and it's made him question God. And even though he serves him faithfully, he's a little bit jaded about the whole thing at the same time. And some of us are, are like that today. Now, you might think, oh, I'm, I'm not jaded at all. Here's a test, a quick test you can use to find out if you have any jadedness in you. It's three words that creep into your mind a lot if you're jaded. The three words are these, must be nice. You ever think about that? <laughs> Someone's talking to you about all the gifts they're buying for their kids at Christmas time, and you just lost your job, and you're thinking, wow, must be nice to buy gifts for your kids. Must be nice. Someone says, I don't know, it's so hard, because this year we have to go to my parents' house for the Christmas, and the next year we have to go to my my spouse's house, family's house for Christmas, and there's just so many houses to choose from. And you're like, wow, must be nice to have a lot of family, so many you have to choose between all of them, right? Oh, I hate this Thanksgiving dinner because my family just talks and talks and we play board games all night and whatever. You're like, wow, must be nice to have a nice, loving family. Wow, that sounds so hard. It must be, must be hard for you. So you get a Christmas card with this beautiful family, and you think, wow, must be nice to be able to have kids. Must be nice. You're a godly person. You never say this out loud. But you just feel this phrase creeping into your life all the time because everyone seems to be enjoying and relishing, especially in this season, the thing that, that you have has been withheld from you. You've lost someone, and everyone seems to be talking about the fact that they have someone. This is something you've wanted for a long time, and God has not given you the ability to have that thing, and you feel like everyone else has that thing and points out that thing. Right? You show up at Christmas, and you're the single person. Oh, you're going to get a boyfriend sometime this year? <laughs> Struggling with fertility issues like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Everybody's like, when are you guys going to have kids? You guys don't even want kids? What's wrong with you? Kids are great. <laughs> you're a godly person, right? So you just smile. You got something you always say, oh, the Lord hasn't blessed us with kids yet. And it hurts. You catch a glimpse in this story of the, the pain that caused the jadedness in Zechariah. We'll, we'll put this verse on the screen. This is Luke 1, 5 through 7. I bet you can see where the pain comes from as we read this. I feel like it pops out at us in the text. It's in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah. He was a godly guy, right? He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was of Aaronic descendants, right? She was religious royalty as well. Go to the next page. I don't know why I just botched that whole thing. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, godly people, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, period. But 
And they were childless. <laughs> because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. It's like this list of amazing qualifications, <laughs> qualities, godliness. And then as we read this in the English text, all we can see are three letters, B-U-T, but... You've always wanted kids. We find out later they've been praying for years for kids, and yet God has not seen fit to give them children. And we read that, we hear their story, all we can see is the but in big letters. I'm sure living their life, all they can, all they can feel all the time is the but in the big three letters. Right? It's hard to be that person that you feel like is defined by the B-U-T in your life. Right? I had a hard time really trying to figure out how to say this without saying but all the time, and my kids would laugh at me. I don't, we're just going to go for it. Right? But, you're the person in your family who's amazing, but still single. Oh my gosh, how has no one catch them up yet? Are you the person in your family who's such a godly person, but God hasn't blessed them with children yet? Are you the person who's a great godly person? They love the church, they serve, but you know they're divorced. That was really hard for them. Oh, bless her heart, she's amazing, but you heard her husband left her. Sometimes the but, the but, the but. It's all we can hear, and it's all we can feel, especially at a time of year like this. And we read this text, and it just like pops out at us. Years and years have gone by. Luke points out they were advanced in years, like beyond the childbearing years. The hope was lost. The prayers, and for all intents and purposes, the, the prayers had not been answered in their minds, and Yet they kept serving. They were faithful. They were godly. They were beautiful people. But it was hard. Christmas is hard. Life is hard. Living with the burden that you carry is hard. Because that but seems too often to be the defining characteristic of our lives. And we know how this story goes. An angel shows up out of nowhere in the, in the middle of the temple when Zechariah has been chosen by Lot to enter the sacred space. An angel shows up, and I don't know if Zechariah's ever been in the temple before. Probably not, right, at the, in this uh, occasion. So I don't know if he thinks this is normal, right? But he is terrified, and the angel says, like angels always said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Right, finally, <laughs> your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And when they thought it was too late to get an answer to their prayer, they get the answer to their prayer. And when they probably had finally stopped praying, right, at some point in Elizabeth's life, I'm sure she stopped praying that God would give her a child because she figured it's over. But God shows up and he gives them the answer to the prayer they've been praying their whole lives. I think one of the things that, that we need to be reminded of when we read a story like this is just about the very nature of God, and that is that God delights to give to those from whom much has been taken. That, that's the nature of God. That's the character of God. I think sometimes when we go through seasons where we're defined by the but in our life and the thing that we don't have and the thing we're praying for, we're not receiving the answer, a lot of times we start viewing God as a taker or a withholder or someone who does not give us the things that we need to have or someone that takes away the things that are valuable to us. But I think what we can learn as we look at the story of this faithful couple is not necessarily that he gives to everyone, 
But maybe all you need to know today is that the fact that God takes away does not change the fact that God loves to give. That's in his nature. Our Christmas is about the giving spirit of God. Christmas is about the grace of God. The gospel is about the grace of God. He loves to lavish gifts on his children, and he especially loves to give to people who've had things withheld, who who are downtrodden and in hardship. Scriptures tell us that God is close to the brokenhearted. He loves to lavish grace on people in pain. I would love to be a fly on the wall when Zechariah goes and tells his wife Elizabeth, but because one thing that happens in the midst of Zechariah's conversation with the angel is his jadedness comes out. The angel says, you're going to have a child, right? And Zechariah should be like, yes, this is awesome, amazing. But that's not what he says. He says, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel says, well, this is how you can be sure of this. I love this answer. The angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and bring this news to you. And since you didn't listen, I'm going to shut your mouth and you're going to be mute until the time that this happens. Oh, come on. That's like insult to injury. Like, come on. Zechariah is standing there. Here's this crazy news. He's jaded, right? He's like, whatever. And, and then, for who's got to go home? He can't even do that, right? He's got to go home and somehow like, get a tablet or something and tell his wife, we're going to have this child. Write, write the whole thing on it. An angel came. It was weird, right? He comes out of the temple. He's like, what happened to that guy? He's like, right? Goes home. He probably couldn't even make the sound. Goes home and he's talking can't even do this, right? He goes home and he's communicating somehow with Elizabeth. There's going to be a baby and, and we're going to call him John. And she's like, well, your name's Zechariah though. It's like, I know, it's, uh, right? And so then goes and goes and goes. And then finally she gets pregnant and Zechariah has this jaded character who's been blindsided by the goodness of God. But when you read about Elizabeth, it's like you don't see any jadedness in her whatsoever. She's just ecstatic about this news. Right, Elizabeth, one of the things that strikes me, I feel like one of the greatest miracles in the Christmas story that no one ever talks about, is that Elizabeth, who struggled with infertility her whole life, right, has gone through all these seasons in life, not been able to have children, and has to watch everyone in her family, everyone in her community, everyone get pregnant and not get jaded by the fact that everyone can have children but her. Then finally she gets pregnant. She stays in seclusion in her house. She doesn't talk to anyone. She's just pondering up these things in her heart. When her cousin Mary shows up, who's 13 years old, probably, has never even had a boyfriend, right? Never been with a guy, right? She didn't do anything, and even she gets pregnant, right? Everyone's getting pregnant, and you would feel like that would be like the pinnacle, like, Mary, it must be nice, right? To be so fertile that you don't even have to stand near a man and now you're pregnant with God's baby, right? But she doesn't say that. She says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? She's just delighted by the grace of God and she's excited and she's having this baby, right? She's not thinking, I'm so old, I don't want to raise a kid, I'm tired. She's not thinking any of that. She's delighting in the goodness of God because he loves to give good gifts. Zechariah is still struggling because he can't talk. <laughs> and in the moment after this hard life that he's lived that God does show up 
to him. God says things to him like, hey, I know you thought it's too late, but you're going to have a kid now. And Zechariah's thinking, whatever. And Zechariah, who's always been struggling with the fact that he's never had someone to pass down his family name, right? If you've struggled with these types of things, it's one of the things that's hard. There's not going to be anyone to carry this family name to the next generation. God says, hey, just so you know, you're not going to name him Zechariah. I've got this weird Greek name for you to give him. Oh, come on, right? It's like my last name's strange, right? I probably don't want to pass on the family name, but I'm going to because I've got a thousand children. And it'd be like if God shows up to me and says, hey, Danny, you're going to have a child. I want you to name him. Jackson McGillicuddy. It's like, what? What Do people even have that name anymore? Is that just in cartoons? What is that? Name him John. Oh, jeez. And by the way, since you disobeyed, you don't get to talk for nine months. Great, thanks, thanks. So Zechariah has to sit there in his house while his wife's getting pregnant with a baby that's not going to carry his name. He has to wrestle with the fact that he's jaded because God showed up and then he said the wrong thing and God punished him. He's got to sit there while his whole family and village shows up to delight at the birth of this child and he's just like... "Mm, mm, 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 mm." And even though God has given great gifts to him and his wife... I think it's important for us to realize that for Zechariah, like his attitude and, and his response to the angel reminds us that it's, it's been really hard for them and it's almost it's very difficult for us to redefine our lives outside of that but that has defined us for a really long time. Like everything in Zechariah's life for a long, long time has just revolved around the fact that he's the guy who doesn't have kids. He's the family that didn't get to carry on his name. He's the one. The people in the community were saying, well, you must have sinned, or maybe Elizabeth sinned, or maybe there's sin in your background, maybe there's sin in your family, right? Why is it that God is not blessing you with children? He's like sick of talking to people about these things. And now when it's too late and he's too old and he had stopped praying, now God shows up. It's interesting, I spent some time this week just diving into this text and trying to wrestle with why does God allow us a lot of the time to be defined by the but in our life? It just seems like it's so stark when you read the English text that they were amazing people. They were godly people. They observed all the Lord's commands. But... They were childless. It's like one of those questions like, how, how can a good God allow these people to be in the state so long where he defines them in a way that is painful to them? <laughs> and you know what I discovered in the text that I'd never seen before? That word but in verse 7, if you have the Bible open, you look at it, the sentence ends in verse 6. It starts with a capital B, but... In verse 7, but they were childless, but they were childless. That but that stands out to us so deeply, that but does not exist in the original manuscripts. It's not there. Now, the word that's translated but in Luke chapter 1, verse 7, is the word, is the word kai, which, which means ant. 
The word kai is used 9,000 times in the New Testament. It's almost always translated and or even or also or every, right? It's, it's a word that says this also happened, this also happened. It's adding, 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 never taking away. It's actually used over 90 times in Luke chapter 1 alone. And the English translators translate it and or also or every or even every single time except for two. And they just translated it but. And both of them are around Zechariah and Elizabeth's inability to have children. I wonder what's going on here, right? Because if God wanted this word but to shine out as strongly as it shines out to us, he wouldn't have used a word that does not mean but. There are words in the Greek language that mean but. He would have used them. What I realize as I look at the English text and as I think about why this was translated this way is that if we put and in our English Bibles right here where, where we see but, it would seem like there was a typo to us. Because our minds can't comprehend an and in this sentence. Like if we just translated it directly and it said, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and they were godly and they were blameless and they served the Lord and they didn't have children and they were old. Like, what? It seems like a, there's something wrong. Like, did you not hear what you just said? Like two of those things were very negative contrasting to the very positive. In fact, every time that the word kai is translated but, it's translated that way because it's not a hard stop like but, but it's translated that way because it just wouldn't make sense to us with our language if it was translated and or also. But the function of the word kai is is really just to move the narrative along. It's like a bullet point. It's like a comma. It's like here's something else, here's something else, here's something else, here's something else. And all that Luke is trying to draw out and all that God is trying to draw out is a list, like a bullet point list of everything about Zechariah that you need to know before the story starts. That's it, right? He's blameless. He's righteous. They're infertile. They're old, right? This is all going to be important later. Just write these things down, right? These are all the things you need to know about Zechariah. But when we read that with our lives that are hard, with the but that defines us, with the things in our own lives that have been really hard for us to bear, We just can't read this like a basic list of parallel attributes. We have to see these last two as life-altering, game-changing negatives that God has withheld something great from them. Just how we read it. I think one of the reasons that God can just make this a list of things and not have to like draw out in neon lines, these are lights, these are the terrible things about these people. It's because when I look at this text from God's perspective who lives outside of time, who knows the whole story, who's crafting this story from his vantage point since before the foundation of the world even began. In God's story, Zechariah and Elizabeth are not infertile people, right? In God's story, Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous people, blameless in the sight of the Lord, who were used greatly by God to carry a child of great significance into his kingdom. That's God's version of their story. But as Zechariah and Elizabeth lived their story in a linear timeline like we all live, they had this long season where this gift from God had not yet been given and they thought God had abandoned them. But God had not abandoned them. God was just choosing to give this gift at the time that was most advantageous for his kingdom's cause. It's hard to be us on earth sometimes. Now, when I, when I think through this text, I... I realize that what God is doing is is he's giving great gifts at the perfect time to his people because he's amazingly glorious. That's what he does. 
In God's timeline, these were not people who, who were barren, who were infertile, who were cursed, right? These were people who were amazing, godly people, and he was withholding this gift until the time that would bring the most delight and joy and fulfillment of prophecy, right? It's kind of like what we do at Christmas, right? I've got all these gifts for my kids. I don't think they're in the service. I have all these gifts for my kids in my closet, in my bedroom. Please don't tell them. And I'm currently withholding these gifts from my children. I could give them to them today after we get home from church. Just give them some Amazon boxes. Look, behold. But we're not going to do that. We're going to hold on to these gifts and we're going to wait to dispense them until the 25th of December because we feel like the impact will be most magnified and God will be most glorified when we have this culmination of this season on a special Christmas morning. So we give the gifts later. God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth the gift of having children the same way he's given any of you the gift of having children. He just gave it to them later. It wasn't like they were cursed by God and then they were blessed by God. They were always living under the grace and blessing of God. He just had a a plan of the timeline of their lives and it just flowed differently than the people around us. I look at this text and, and I think about the way that God used all the characters in the story And I realize, we'll put this on the screen. You don't have to write this down, but it's just a long thing. But God can use, can you put this up here? God can use the child of a barren couple to change the world. This is how we define Zechariah and Elizabeth, a barren couple. God can use the child of a barren couple to change the world. Or the words of a mute man, Zechariah, to transform a community. Zechariah is sitting in his room, and he hasn't been able to talk, and the community is like trying to figure out what's happened here. This is crazy. And they're like, name him Zechariah. He's amazing. And Zechariah is like, Right? And then he takes a piece of paper and writes, his name is John. Right? He steps into partnership with what the Lord is doing. And all of a sudden, his mouth is loosened and he starts praising God. And God, the, the tool that God uses in Zechariah's life to change the tides of the story are his words while he's mute on purpose. Right? He uses a child in a couple who are childless. He uses the words of a man who cannot speak. He's doing this on purpose. So if God can use the child of a barren couple to change the world, or the words of a mute man to transform a community, he can and will use the broken areas of your life as part of the glorious story he's writing in you. Right? The reason I say it this way is because there is no promise in this text that whatever you feel defines you is going to someday magically be given to you. Right, the loss that you've experienced, you know God's not bringing that loved one back. Right, the child you've been unable to have. Right, there's a, a, a chance that God is going to give you miraculously the gift of ch- children. There's a chance he's not going to give you that gift. It's, it's not like God is saying, hey, this is what happens to everyone. An angel will show up someday when you're in church and don't worry, it'll all be fine. But the way that God chooses to use them and the parts of their lives, the broken parts that he leans into and magnifies his glory through, Reminds us that everything in our lives God allows and uses for your good and his glory. He can use anything. So as you walk through this Christmas series and there are seasons of it that are hard because of loss in your life, there might be a time to say, God, what what are you doing here? God, I don't want to become jaded. I want to trust you. you. What are you doing here? God, I don't want to be defined by this. I know you don't define me by this. I know this is our construct that defines me, our culture's construct that defines me. God, give me freedom from being defined by this pain that that I'm burdened with. God, I'm praying that you'll do a miracle and something great will happen in this area, but at the same time, God, I, I trust that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you. 
And I'm called according to your purpose. And I, I know you can use this broken area either by filling the brokenness, giving me my prayer. But God, I trust you that even if you never answer this prayer, that, that you're doing something. I think it's important for us to remember as we look at this text that the but that we feel defines us was put there later by people who write English Bibles. When God describes you, it's just a list of the things about you that he wants to use for his glory. I came in off the roof. I made it in my house. I took off my shoes. I like, tried to warm up. Jessica handed me this like cup of hot chocolate or something, right? And I'm like... <laughs> and then I walked outside at my driveway. And I like, turned around and I looked at like, the, the twinkling lights on my house. And it was stopping to rain. or stopping, The rain was stopping. You know, I thought, you know what, this is... This is going to make a cool story someday. Hey, and it did. Now, <laughs> <laughs> the misery that I experienced, and it's just a light misery based, to, I mean, compared to what we've talked about this morning, but the, the little bit of misery that I experienced just reminded me that oh, this is cool, this is beautiful, this is worth it, this is awesome, this is Christmas. I think one of the reasons that Christmas happens at the darkest time of year is that that's the time where the light shines most brightly when it comes. And so as we await our Savior together in this Advent season, let's remember, even if you're walking in darkness, that Christmas is a story of a light that emerges in the background of a dark, dark world. But God is still good. He's still coming. He still loves you. And the thing that you think defines you does not define you. It's all part of the story God is writing in your life for your good and for his glory. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to take some time to, to rest in the beautiful relationship that we have with the Lord through partaking in the Lord's Supper together. You know, last week I had a lot of you saying, wait, it's the first week in the month, where's Kabirdi? You know, and we decided to push it off to this week just because there was so much as we were launching Christmas last week. We wanted to be able to slow down and partake of this meal together. This is not just a ritual we do. It's not like it's magic bread or a magic cup, right? You eat it and drink it and something happens. It's it's a ceremony that Jesus has instilled in us that we might walk through this and remember the most significant thing that's ever happened in our lives and ever happened in the history of mankind, which is that Jesus came to this earth, that he walked among us, he lived a perfect life, and then he gave up his life for the salvation of all who would believe in him. If you're a Christian in this room this morning, this is a time for you to grab this bread and grab this cup and hold on to it and remember the significance and beauty of the death of Jesus and his resurrection in your life and in the world. If you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, there's no shame in letting the plate just pass on by. Or maybe this is a time for you to just stop and say, you know what, God, what, what am I doing with this message that you've given the world at this time of year that you have come for us? Maybe this is the moment for you to turn your heart to Jesus. Say, I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to walk with you. I'm ready to explore what it means to be saved by you, forgiven by you, given a new life by you. After the service, if that's you this morning, stop by the prayer room and just let them know, hey, I'm, I'm wrestling with what it means to be a Christian. I, I'm not ready to take communion, but tell me about it. And someone would love to pray with you, talk to you about those things. I'd love to help equip you to walk in your life with God. Let me pray for us, and then we'll receive these elements. I'll come back up, and we'll eat and drink together in a moment.